1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, welcome to Dance Nose History It. Today it's the beginning of the Easter weekend here in the UK. Everyone's chilling out, everyone's in the garden, shivering. As people do those time-hallowed British things, you might like to listen to this episode of Dance Snow's History which is a rerun. It's one of our most popular episodes ever. We talked to Francesca. Stavrakopoulou about the Bible, about Easter. She's a professor of Hebrew Bible and ancient religion at Exeter University. She's known as the atheist who loves the Bible. And she is on to talk all about where Easter came from, the myth. You'll have all heard the myth that there was some pagan deity called something like Easter. Well, it's not true, as Francesca will tell you. I hope everyone enjoys this podcast as much as people did the first time round. It broke all our records years ago when we first recorded this and broadcast it. If you want to go back and listen to some deep, deep history, the archive of Dan Snow's history, you can do so at historyhit.tv. No ads over there. For a small subscription, you get access to the Netflix for history. Hundreds of hours of history documentaries, Thousands of podcasts. They're all there. Go and wallow in them. Binge them all this Easter weekend. But in the meantime, enjoy Francesca Stavrakopoulou. <laughs>
2: Hello, Professor, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for that amazing introduction.
1: Well, I mean, it's the least I can do. I quite uh, like being a well, master. <laughs> you are the master of all you survey. <laughs> and today we are surveying Easter. Yes. Which moves around, which we can discuss later. I've never really understood that. Mm-hmm. But people get very excited about Easter. Let me briefly say, cause it's hard in modern christian slash post-christian society everyone gets a bit more excited about christmas yeah but every time i go to church at christmas when i have to with my in-laws and things you basically get shouted at by the priest for not going to church at easter and only going at christmas so what is it with christians and easter is this the big one
2: yeah easter is absolutely the big one far bigger than christmas and um, because the whole point of christianity is that it has as its very center the notion that a god died and then rose again and This wasn't just some kind of, you know, fancy party trick. This is the idea that this is a deity that became flesh, became human, and actually suffered, you know, went through horrendous torture and pain um, and humiliation and shame, um, only to then rise again from the dead three days later. So this is the big one. And in terms of Christian theology, so in other words, the way that Christians understand the world and their relationship with God and their place in the world, this is the moment that... Basically, um, they are promised an eternal life. So in other words, we can cast off our biological, physical bodies. Death will happen, but it doesn't defeat us. We will continue to exist after death because Jesus has proved that this is possible and he's sort of shown us the way. And all you've got to do is basically follow Jesus, believe in him, um, subscribe to all of those various terms and conditions that Christianity (laughs) imposes. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. Or rather, Jesus is your Messiah, and and you've got eternal life.
1: Okay. Well, let's go back, as you so brilliantly always do, to primary sources, the historicity of Easter and the resurrection story. <laughs> is, is this is this around from right from the beginning of Christian? I mean, is this the key? I mean, like For example, is this more important than the virgin birth in terms of the spread of very, very early Christianity? Is it more important than the miracles and the loaves and the fishes? Is this the thing that everyone goes, right, from the beginning, we're going to get excited about this?
2: Yeah, this is the key thing. So our earliest written sources um, are the New Testament writings. So they're the earliest um, literature that we have now that reflects what the first followers of Jesus um, were sort of saying about this guy. And Paul is our first historical witness, if you like. And I'm using witness in that very loose sense because he never actually met Jesus when he was alive. Um, He supposedly encounters the risen Christ you know several you know decades basically after he 's supposed to have died, so you know this is basically a guy who is so he 's a Jewish guy um, he was at one point a persecutor of these what he felt were basically heretical Jews who were following Jesus and believed in in the stuff that Jesus said and did um, He used to persecute them, he then has this encounter with the risen Christ um, and he 's converted and he then goes around preaching, writing letters to various early Christian communities all around the Eastern Mediterranean, and basically saying that this is God made flesh. He resurrected from the dead um, on the third day. You know, he was buried for a couple of days, resurrected on the third day. And this is the moment of what he calls God's salvation. It's a, a turning point in cosmic history. And this is the point at which he realizes that he can be saved through belief in this risen Christ. So it's 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 a really it's one of the earliest, if you like, traditions within Christianity. It comes before all of the stuff that we read about in terms of his miracles and all that kind of stuff, you know, supposedly the virgin birth, the star of Bethlehem, all of that comes much later because the Gospels are written after Paul was writing. So Paul is our earliest kind of written source, and he doesn't really talk about things like the virgin birth or anything like that. He doesn't give a monkey's about that. What he cares about is this idea that, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, which is
1: why we should call Christianity Paulinity.
2: Yeah, exactly, or Pauline for short. Yeah, exactly. Pauline, like, right, yeah. I mean, but obviously, he's but he was in. He was just like one of the. You know, history is always written by the winners, isn't it? And there were other churches, particularly the church, the early church in Jerusalem, um, that Paul basically seems to have had a lot of arguments with. Um, and it's his version of Christianity that sort of won out at the end of the day, rather than the Palestinian version of Christianity so we don't know the extent to which some of their beliefs about this risen deity um, might have differed from the version that we've got in Paul's letters in the New Testament but that's basically what Christianity as we understand it today that's what it's based on
1: okay so let's talk about the timing yeah. and then let's get into some of the exciting and dangerous territory around because Christmas, we know there was always a midwinter festival around mm. that time. Now Easter always strikes me. It's the, the days are getting longer, the daffodils are coming out here in the UK, and the leaves are coming on the trees. Mm-hmm. So, did numerous pre-Christian pagan societies have a kind of spring awakening festival?
2: Yeah, of course they did. I've been, and the weird thing is though, is that in particularly in, in the UK and in the US, um, we get really obsessed about oh, you know, is is, it, is Easter originally a pagan festival? Um, but Really, the secret of Easter is that it was originally, in a sense, a Jewish festival because you really need to understand Easter and its timings. You need to understand the Jewish context of the events around the stories of Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus was Jewish um, and according to the Gospel texts, he goes to Jerusalem for Passover. So Passover is the huge Jewish festival that happens around the first full moon of the month of Nisan. So Jews operated on a lunar calendar. And so Jesus, as a good Jew, would have gone to Jerusalem. Um, This is what's celebrated by Christians with the Palm Sunday stuff, you know, when Jesus rides in on a donkey and everyone's waving tree branches at him. So he goes to Jerusalem. He causes... Some kind of controversy. He kicks off in the Jerusalem temple, and he's arrested by the Romans, who are in charge at the time. They're the ones that crucify him, so they basically put him to death as a criminal. So Passover is the big festival around which Christian Easter is then associated. So it's known as um, it's Pesach. uh, It's the Hebrew word for Passover. That becomes Pascha within um, the Greek tradition, and so. Christians very very early on Christians were already. Well, they were, firstly, they were Jewish, and they were already associating themselves with this very Jewish festival, which is in itself a springtime festival. It's the first full moon of spring, essentially, and so it's a time of celebrating rebirth and fertility, the regeneration of all forms of life, including the cosmos. So Christians say before, um, sort of before the. Council of Nicaea, which is in 325, they were celebrating, they were either celebrating the resurrection of Christ on the day of Passover itself, or on the Sunday after Passover, because the gospel writers say that when the women go to the tomb that Jesus was laid in, it's the first day of the week, and the first day of the week is a Sunday, it's the day after Shabbat. So some are celebrating it on the Sunday after Passover, some are celebrating it on Passover. Some were also celebrating it according to the solar calendar, which was underscored the Roman Empire's calculation of time and events and rituals so people are celebrating it in all sorts of different ways but it's always tied to the spring so when we talk about oh is Easter basically you know is it hijacking sort of European springtime festivals a pagan festival well it was already hijacking a Jewish festival in the first place which was already associated with spring so the shifting kind of date that we get depends on whether some christians so like eastern orthodox christians still operate on an older version of the calendar which is based on the cycles of the moon so they're much more in keeping with the jewish traditions of the earliest christian movement whereas western christians like so catholic roman catholic christians and now protestants they operate on a different solar calendar so basically it means that Easter is always a bit out of kilter it moves around it's a movable feast But essentially, yes, it's a springtime festival. Now, whether it originally is named in in the sort of Germanic and English languages, the name Easter, some people have said, derives from the name of a pre-Christian pagan Germanic goddess. But there's no there's no sort of real evidence for that. Our only evidence for that is um is one text in in the writings of the Venerable Bede, that very famous English monk who was writing, you know, basically around sort of the seventh century, early eighth century. Um and he wrote a history of Christianity and the history of England, and he basically said, Oh yeah, um the the Passover. Or the Pascha um, celebration of Christians is being identified with this worship of this particular spring goddess, this pagan spring goddess, whose name um, basically gives us the name Easter. So we, we don't really know. I mean, yeah, it's kind of pagan in the sense that we've got bunnies and we've got eggs, and we've got all those, you know, the signs of the regeneration of life, which naturally kind of align really neatly with the idea with the christian theological idea that jesus is life and then death and then resurrecting to life again is all about the regeneration of cosmic fertility so that's it in a nutshell but i know that's quite complicated
1: that is extremely complicated. I mean, you mentioned the gathering at Nicaea there. Yeah. you We've got the Synod of Whitby going on here in, in the British Isles, yeah. where they were arguing about the date of Easter. And I mean, I didn't want to go down here, but let's do this because it's quite funny. It didn't that come about because they had to work out the Irish and then the continental traditions of Christianity you had different Easters, if you obviously tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And then wasn't there an issue with the ruler of Northumbria and his wife were celebrating different Easters, and there was a problem with her observing a period of uh, celibacy, and then they ended up having to have loads of weeks of the year when they weren't having sex? They had to get Easter <laughs> sorted. They could all agree on.
2: Basically, like most good religious traditions, it it boils down to food and sex. And so, what happens is that it's the seventh century um, kingdom of Northumbria. You've got King Osway, who's who's king of in this particular little um, provincial kingdom. Um, he's on the kind of Irish or Celtic calendar um, for for Easter. So it's a solar calendar but it's out of sync with the Roman calendar that his missus, his wife is on. She's on the Julian calendar. And so basically all the way through her period of Lent. So you didn't just give up eating nice stuff for Lent. You also gave up sex. Um, So she's basically not able to have sex and not able to eat all the nice food that he begins then to eat because Easter for him comes a lot earlier than her Easter does. And so within this royal household. Um, yeah, there's a lack of sex and she's having to watch her husband like feast on all this delicious food. And so that's when the Synod of Whitby is called, so that they can finally try to align the different calendars. And and that's, you know, and that's what happens. So everybody ends up on the same calendar for Easter in in, you know, the British Isles, roughly. Um, But all over the world still, Easter is celebrated by different Christian groups at at different times. So when I go back to Greece for Greek Easter, most usually that's at least a few weeks after um, Catholic or Roman Western Easter. Um, So you kind of get to have double the Easter eggs, really, which is quite nice.
1: You're listening to Dan Snow's History. This is the truth about Easter. More after this.
3: Romans, God's Spartans, the wars of Alexander the Great's successors in incredible, entirely necessary detail. The Ancients podcast, it's kind of like Dan's show, except it's just ancient history. We've got the leading experts. We've got the big topics from ancient Vietnam to the fall of Rome. Subscribe to The Ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance.
1: That would not be the last time that a king's sexual desires radically transformed British religion and constitutional matters. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Sex, basically, it always comes down to sex. Uh,
1: Francesca, let's talk then about some of the traditions around Easter. You mentioned eggs and bunnies and things. Are those just plainly pagan or are they a modern invention? Have they got anything to do with the Christian story?
2: Uh, no, no, I haven't got anything to do with the Christian story. There are no bunnies in the Bible. Um, but basically, what what ha- what seems to happen is that eggs were already associated with certain sorts of springtime festivals. All peoples all over the world, you know, throughout all throughout history, spring has always been a very important time because it is. It's the burgeoning of new life. It's when you know the the days get longer. Um, Coming out of the darkness and sort of the death time of winter, and so you know before the time of battery hens, in spring was also when hens began laying again, and so it was so eggs were already associated with fertility. The, but the Easter bunny is really interesting. It seems to be like a, a German tradition whereby it used to be a hare, um, a hare who was again associated with fertility because you know this whole idea that bunnies and and, and hares, um, obviously they. They have a lot of sex, supposedly, because they have a lot of offspring. Um, But they were particularly associated in in German tradition with bringing eggs, particularly to children. But that's quite late. That's kind of 17th, 18th century. And that tradition gets picked up by a lot of kind of northern European and American um, communities a bit later. But interestingly, there are some medieval traditions. We know that eggs were associated, like decorated eggs, were associated with Easter. There are some medieval traditions that talk about... um, Mary going to the tomb um, to find the tomb is empty and Jesus' body is gone. And she's taken with her some eggs and as soon as she realises that the tomb is empty, the eggs turn red. So red eggs in particular are associated within the Eastern Orthodox traditions of Christianity. So quite often, so again in Greece, um, Easter bread is this like really delicious doughy bread that's got a, a red egg baked into the middle of it. So that's really important. But you know, eggs again... So the idea of of, um, having an empty egg, like so blowing it out and and so it becomes hollow, that is supposed to represent, you know, the empty tomb. But obviously, like Christmas, Easter became increasingly commercial, um, but was also increasingly used to be a more sort of family friendly way of getting kids um, involved in religion. So just as at Christmas, you've got, you know, St. Nicholas, who brings children presents if they've been good. So kind of teaching them morality, basically. Um so too you get the idea of the Easter Bunny who who brings eggs to children if they've been good. Um I read somewhere, you know, the notion that basically uh, both Father Christmas and the Easter Bunny are ways of trying to teach children about um behaving well in order to get a reward, you know, before they can really comprehend the notion of this kind of invisible um sort of impersonal god who's going to reward them for their good behaviour. So yeah, it's basically it's a mixture of kind of European custom and tradition with the eggs and the bunnies and stuff like that mixed in with a bit of kind of family-friendly morality. And uh,
1: here in the UK, we've just had our Prime Minister, who uh, has recently refused to comment on some rather striking affairs going on in the world at the moment, mm. but she did take time to make a statement about how outrageous it was that Easter eggs no longer had the word Easter on them. Now, when you hear things like that, do you just sort of do face pants?
2: Well, yeah, completely. I mean, the fact that she didn't comment on some of the awful things that were going on in Syria, about the way in which um, the things that Donald Trump has said and done, and yet felt that it was important enough to talk about um, chocolate eggs. I mean, she is, you know, she she does strike me as being... Um, a woman who doesn't really like saying very much about anything unless she really wants to or has to. Um, so it was interesting that she chose to speak out about chocolate Easter eggs, um, which were invented like relatively late. I mean, they're only around sort of, I think they come from sort of Northern Europe in the 19th century. I think that's the earliest attestation we have of chocolate eggs around the time of Easter. But, you know, our Prime Minister, she's a vicar's daughter, um, you know, a good Anglican vicar's daughter, and and maybe she feels that, you know, labelling on things needs to be explicitly religious um when it comes to christianity in this country but yeah it it is one of those facepalm things but it's one of those things again it's it's interesting what people pick and choose to to emphasize about religion so even with something like easter i mean the thing that gets overlooked is that this is basically not just this kind of story this myth about um a god who becomes flesh, dies and then rises from the afterlife. I mean, that's that's not an, an original story. That's recycling much older myths that we know from all over ancient West Asia and the eastern Mediterranean. So they long predate Christianity. But the way that Christianity puts a spin on it is the idea that, you know, we eat lamb, for example, at Easter. You know, roast lamb is 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 very common at Easter because... In the Gospels, um, John the Baptist, who's kind of Jesus' best mate before they kind of have a bit of a falling out, I think. He says, he sees Jesus and he says, behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what he's basically saying is that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that's going to be killed by by God and sacrificed, you know, and his blood kind of poured out to, to rescue everybody else. But this is directly riffing off the other big child sacrifice theme. In the Bible which is the Jewish festival of Passover because Passover happens when the people the the Jewish forefathers are enslaved in Egypt Pharaoh refuses to let the the, um, to let the Jewish people go and so God sends a series of plagues and the tenth and and most deadly plague is this angel of death that is going to go over all the households in Egypt and kill the firstborn firstborn of every human the firstborn of every animal and God tells the people via Moses, he says, the way to protect yourself is to sacrifice a lamb, then put its blood on the doorposts so that when the angel of death passes over, he won't kill your firstborn, he'll just kill the Egyptian firstborn. And then the the Israelites, they then eat, they sacrifice this lamb, put its blood on the doorposts, and then they, they share this sacrificial meal with their God, Yahweh. They roast the lamb and eat it. So at the centre of both the Passover traditions and the Easter traditions is this idea that There's basically, you know, God is this kind of the killer of the firstborn who is going to offer up these children as sacrifices in order to rescue or save or redeem his chosen people. And that's exactly what the earliest Christian interpretations of Jesus' death and resurrection, that's what they were riffing on. And at one point in John's gospel, you know, God says, you know, here is my beloved child, my beloved son, my firstborn, and then it talks about his death in this very sacrificial language, the language that's used of the sacrificed lambs in the Passover. So, you know, it's one thing for Theresa May to get all upset about, you know, chocolate eggs and for us to, like, talk about Easter bunnies. But there's a very dark myth right at the heart of both Passover and Easter that I think would be much more fun to talk about. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah i I just wanted to actually talk about some of those other traditions because i know that in the Norse tradition there's this idea of odin sacrificing himself to save that of course could be later and it could be a a, a loan from christianity but so you're saying that there are pre-christian traditions of gods or heroes that sacrifice themselves and then were reborn
2: yeah or they don't necessarily sacrifice themselves they get into a battle with another deity and they're killed And then they rise to life again. So um, Osiris, the ancient Egyptian deity, is a really good example. Um, He is killed by his brother um, in this big battle. His brother dismembers him and cuts him up. Um, His wife, Isis, then retrieves all his body parts and she find everything except for the penis, which was swallowed, interestingly, by a perch, a fish in the Nile that supposedly Egyptians then refused to eat after that. Um, And she puts him back together and he rises again, To life. Um, My favorite, one of my favourite deities is the god Baal um, from the city of Ugarit. So supposedly this is a Canaanite city, so a pre-Israelite, pre-Jewish, pre-Christian deity called Baal. And he has a big fight um, with the god Mot, who's the god of death, who kills him. And he's buried in a tomb by his sister, interestingly. And then three days later, he rises again to life. So Christianity, it sort of presents itself as having this exclusive claim on resurrection. Um, But actually, as I said, it's just recycling much older myths.
1: And then I don't want to get into it because my head will explode. (laughs) But obviously through the early medieval period, there are the most extraordinary fights about the resurrection myth Mm. and what it represents. And was he actually human or was he not? And did he actually die or did not? Just briefly, can you talk about some of the sort of conflicts and some of the resolutions that's ended up in the consensus that
2: emerged, you know, centuries later? Yeah, well, basically... um... You know, Christians, early, you know, the earliest Christians were Jews and a lot of Jewish people believed in the afterlife and in the resurrection of the dead on a particular kind of apocalyptic day. But a lot of other Jews didn't. And um, so that carries over into Christianity. And you've got the idea that, you know, Jesus never says that he is God made flesh in the Gospels. And. Um, so, for some of Jesus' earliest followers and in the first generations of early Christians, they didn't think that he was a deity, they thought that he was the son of God, which was a royal title, um, you know, for a human king of Jerusalem, it, it wasn't a the, the kind of divine title necessarily that, that we think about it today. So some people felt that he was basically a martyr, so he wasn't this divine figure, he was a martyr for the cause, a bit like John the Baptist. Um, Others felt that, others, so Gnostic Christians who had a very sort of dualistic sense of the world, some Gnostic Christians believed that the fleshy material world in which we live is somehow lesser than the more spiritual world of the soul and that when we die our soul will go up to heaven. And so they felt that basically this divine man kind of almost put on a flesh suit, a skin suit, (laughs) to kind of become this sort of human. So he kind of suffered but didn't quite suffer enough because if he wasn't properly human... Um, because he was a deity, then therefore he couldn't really have suffered. So therefore his death couldn't have been a real death. Therefore his resurrection couldn't be a real resurrection. So all of these controversies raged for centuries. But actually, it's the Council of Nicaea. So Nicaea is a place now in modern day Turkey. But it was the emperor of the Roman emperor Constantine who called the Council of Nicaea in about three two five. And not only did they fix the date of Easter, they because you've got all these different Christians worshipping either according to the lunar calendar or Judaism or the solar calendar of the Roman Empire, they agreed um, lots of things at this council. One of the things they agreed was to fix the date of Easter to be the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox following Passover. But the other thing that they agreed on was to say that, that Jesus Christ was both fully human and fully divine. So they were trying to put an end to those people that said he was only half human, half God, or he was a God masquerading as a human, or he was simply a fleshy martyr who was very spiritual, you know, a kind of a holy man. So that was one of the big things that the Council of Nicaea sought to address. But those controversies didn't end with Nicaea, just like, you know, the date of Easter kept moving around after Nicaea. Um, Because, you know, whether we like it or not, humans are really good at uh, arguing, particularly about religion. And they kept argue, arguing about the nature of Jesus and about the date of Easter and, and when to open your Easter eggs. So I don't think we're ever going to get rid of any of these kind of theological um, arguments as such. But, yeah, there's some of the more interesting ones were about how human was Jesus and did he really die and did he really resurrect?
1: Well, Francesca, that was an absolute tour de force as ever. See, guys, I told you it was going to be awesome. We had <laughs> sw- fish swallowing penises. We had celibacy within marriage gorging yourself on food easter eggs anyway the main thing is everybody <laughs> enjoy passover enjoy easter enjoy your spring festival hope you're all together with the family and uh, and having a lovely rack of lamb or something else francesca thank you so much please come back on the podcast of soon course. there's lots to talk about of course and uh, enjoy your long weekend I we the history
0: on our all traditions, tradition of ours our school history our songs Right at home.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds